0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome
1: to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, featuring many of London's untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders, all set within London's West End. Today's episode is about the murder of Diego Piñera Villa, a sweet-natured boy whose simple act of compassion for a homeless man called Edward Crowley led to an unusual friendship and to his brutal death. And yet, both of their lives were destroyed by an unfortunate series of legal loopholes. Murder Mile is researched using original sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details, and as a dramatization of the real events. It may also feature loud and realistic sounds, so that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is is murder mile. Episode 76: The Schoolboy, The Stranger, and the Failure of the System. Today, I'm standing in Seven Dials, WC2, One Street Southwest, of the St Giles Workhouse, where frozen infant Charlie Chergwin was turfed out into the snow. Two streets west of the dank hovel of Marianne Moriarty, who hatcheted her cruel husband to death. One street southeast of the empty Shasbury Avenue shop, where the violated corpse of Nora Upchurch was sensationally discovered by her own killer. And two streets west of the baffling murder of Maurice Sholdman, coming soon to Murder Mile. Situated north of Covent Garden Market, seven dials is an iconic roundabout marking the convergence of seven streets, including Shorts Gardens and both ends of Mercer, Earlham and Monmouth Street. In the centre, on top of a 30-foot Doric column, is a sculpture of six sundials, designed to face each street and to display the solar time accurate to within 10 seconds. Sadly, having been commissioned in 1693, Shortly before the 7th Street was added, the six-dial sculpture remains on Seven Dials. Although factually inaccurate, Seven Dials is still a great place to hang out. The swanky bars, where ninnies and knobheads natter in obnoxious voices, having necked back one-too-many Negroni. Artisan eateries, where utter arseholes pay for the privilege of eating a thimble's worth of unpronounceable offal whilst dining al-fresco by the bins. A theatre producing mostly musicals for simpletons who can't understand a plot unless someone warbles it. And a pitifully pointless market selling woolen beanie caps for hipster twats. Because, as the saying goes, if you haven't got a personality, get a hat. On the northeast apex of Monmouth Street and Shorts Gardens is the Crown Public House. Built in 1833, when Seven Dials was one of London's most notorious slums, and a big inspiration for local scribe Charles Dickens, although it's now in an epicentre of absolute pomposity, thankfully it's still a proper pub for normal people, where you can have a decent pint, a bag of crisps, and you should feel safe. as it was here on Sunday the 7th of May 2000, where an unusual bond between a schoolboy and a stranger came to a tragic end. And yet the real culprit was a system which failed them both. The senseless murder of Diego Piñera Villa began 53 years earlier. Edward Alexander Crowley was born Henry Allen Dibby, an only child to working-class parents in the post-war austerity of Colby Newham, a rural village near Middlesbrough in the northeast of England. Edward's birth was unremarkable, being small and thin, with grey-blue eyes, podgy pale skin, and a wisp of brown hair. He seemed like a healthy little boy and even though he rarely slept, always cried, and often refused to eat, his worried parents were reassured, you'll grow out of it. Only he didn't. As a baby, he was hard work. As a toddler, he was exhausting. And as a child, he was a handful. But he wasn't wicked, cruel, or criminal. He didn't swear, steal, start fires, or rip the wings off flies. It was like, he was on half speed, a distant little boy forever trapped inside his own mind, whose only friend was imaginary. With his parents concerned, the doctors reassured them, it's just a phase. Only it wasn't. As a teen, Edward was shy and reclusive, so to bring him out of his shell, his mother took him to church. The faith wasn't for him, He disliked all the sins, guilt, and silences, as being at Mass was like being inside his own head. But he loved Jesus' miracles, what he called his magic. And when Edward said he was hearing voices, this was brushed off as nothing more than hysteria or hormones. Only it wasn't. Age 15. Although Edward was well-read, loving books on gods, magic, the occult, and having taught himself Latin and Spanish, he left school with a limited education. Eager to find his purpose, he started work as a pattern maker in a metal workshop. But being haunted by hallucinations, he lasted only a few months, and unable to hold down another job, for the rest of his life, he would live off handouts. In 1972, aged 24, Edward was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, a chronic mental illness which although incurable, its symptoms can be treated with a lifelong prescription of neuroleptics. But as Edward withdrew further from reality and the voices and visions in his head got greater, unable to escape his delusions over the next 20 years, he would attempt to take his own life eight times. And then, in 1994, age 47, with his father dead, and his mother in care, Edward disappeared. For the next seven years, Edward became invisible, a nameless nobody living on the London streets, who slept rough behind the Savoy, ate in the Embankment soup kitchens, and begged for change in Covent Garden. And with no medical or psychiatric support, he stopped taking his medication. Edward's only salvation was the writing of the notorious occultist, self-styled prophet and practitioner of black magic, Alistair Crowley. So obsessed did Edward become that in 1999 he used what little money he had to officially change his name from Henry Allen Dibby to Edward Alexander Crowley. But to those who passed him, Edward was nothing but a sad little stranger, with brown, balding hair, a tatty moustache, sad ring lined eyes, and his worldly possessions in a plastic carrier bag. And so, as a shy, reclusive nobody from nowhere, with no job, no home, and no criminal record, in the eyes of the local authorities, 53 year old Edward Alexander Crowley was a danger to no one. By all accounts, as very different people, Edward and Diego should never have met. Born in 1998, twelve-year-old Diego Piñera Villa lived a comfortable and uncomplicated life in a small Covent garden flat, within sight of seven dials with his Spanish-born mother Angela, his stepfather Juan, and his 15-year-old stepbrother Roberto. For the family, life was simple but good. Raised well, although he seemed like an ordinary boy, who played football with his pals, cracked jokes with his brother, and ran errands for his mother, Diego was bright, polite, and sensitive, and blessed with short dark hair, chestnut eyes, and a cherubic grin. To those he met, he was instantly likable. But what made him stand out was his compassion. Whether this was a family trait, part of his Catholic upbringing, or simply formed by what he saw, living a few hundred yards from the Royal Opera House and St. Mungo's Homeless Hostel, seeing such extremes as the fur-clad wealthy quaffing champagne in their chauffeur-driven Bentleys, and the dirty, bedraggled deadbeats shooting up smack by the kiddies' swings in the Phoenix Garden. Diego saw the best in everyone and the worst in no one. So it's no surprise that, although they were very different people, Diego and Edward would meet. Just off Charing Cross Road, on the corner of Stacey Street and in the courtyard of St. Giles Church, is the Phoenix Garden, a communal space for locals whose thickly stacked council flats loom over this minuscule patch of green. Whereas now it is gated, safe and manicured, back in the May of 1999, the Phoenix Garden wasn't much. A ragged walled garden full of daisies and dog plop, stinging nettles and syringe needles, sharp thorns and fragments of porn, with a broken bench, a few squeaky swings, and a wonky roundabout, but in a big bustling city, it was a rare place for the kids to play. On the Maybank holiday, as Diego played footy with his pals in the Phoenix garden, just yards from his home, the sensitive boy's attention was drawn to several excitable whoops as a gaggle of bored kids hurled stones at a pile of dirty rags. Only as each rock hit, the rags moved, The rags cried and the rags yelped. Dashing over and demandingly stop, as a dark blue parka hood tipped up, Diego saw a ragged man with brown balding hair, a tatty moustache, sad ring-lined eyes and his worldly possessions in a plastic carrier bag. And although a little battered and bruised, he was okay. In Edward, Diego saw not a sinister stranger to be feared and abused, but a shy, shambolic recluse who was educated, direct, and enjoyed his company. In Diego, Edward saw someone special, an instantly likable boy who was compassionate, innocent, and intelligent. And with that, the schoolboy and the stranger formed an unusual friendship. Over the next month, the two unlikely chums often met in the Phoenix Garden. They ate, talked, played, and although broke, Edward used his meagre monies to treat his new pal to burgers at Maccy D's, little gifts from American candy, trips to the Trocadero Arcade, and they'd sometimes take a dip at the Marshall Street swimming baths in Soho. They were just friends, but knowing his mother would disapprove, Of a 12-year-old schoolboy hanging around with a 53-year-old homeless stranger, Diego kept his new pal a secret. And for a while, it was fun. But after a few weeks, their friendship had soured, as Edward's desperate need for Diego's attention became uncomfortable, suffocating and inappropriate as an innocent playfight fight went awry when Edward licked Diego's ear. As they wrestled, he tickled the boy's belly button, and as they swam, he softly stroked the skin of the semi-clad boy. Although innocent, Diego was intelligent enough to realize that for Edward, they were more than just friends, and so he did his best to keep his distance. Only Edward didn't want it to end. Every day, the lovesick loner waited in the Phoenix Garden. Unable to escape his stalker, Diego started lying, saying he was elsewhere. But by following him to football, shadowing him to school, and haranguing his home phone, Edward knew the truth. And yet still, Diego kept it a secret. But by then, although the homeless man was off the local authorities' radar, Edward had come to the attention of the police, as neighbours had seen him approach other children. On the 15th of September 1999, as a wanted man, Edward handed himself in at Hoban police station and openly confessed that he was in a loving but not primarily sexual relationship with Diego. To Edward, their love was consensual and although it was a complete fantasy, With Diego only being 12 years old, Edward was cautioned, arrested and interviewed. And there, it could have ended. Only with Edward having withdrawn his confession, and Diego's mother unwilling to involve her son in a court case, with no evidence to proceed, the police had no option but to release Edward on bail. Once again, Edward Crowley fell through the cracks of the system. Although deemed a danger to children, he presented as shy, polite and lucid. With no charge against him, he couldn't be placed on the sex offender's register. As a homeless man with no family, friends or fixed abode, he would be difficult to track. And given a full mental health assessment, even though he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic, as a treatable condition, They couldn't detain him under the Mental Health Act. And so, although they knew that he was a risk, legally Edward was free. Edward was fine as long as he was taking his medication, except downing a daily cocktail of strong antipsychotics to dampen his symptoms and forced to endure a dizzying array of life-sapping side effects like vomiting, nausea, blurred vision, spasms and seizures. Preferring to withdraw from reality, once again, Edward stopped taking his medication. Edward Crowley was a homeless loner, drifting through the city and lost inside his mind, unaware that the visions, delusions and voices which played him were fantasies. And with nothing to occupy him but time and a well-thumbed copy of the Book of the Law, by the occultist Alistair Crowley Feeling spurned by Diego as Edward brooded his love for the boy took a sinister turn A little after dawn on Wednesday the 3rd of November 1999 having received reports from worried parents that a man was loitering in the bushes of the Phoenix garden the police arrived and Edward fled But on the seat of the children's roundabout, scrawled in neat capitals and daubed using white typewriter correction fluid, the devastated derelict had left a love letter. It read, I'll always love you, Diego. Please forgive me for everything. I couldn't stand the pain. One day, you'll know just how much you hurt me, how much I needed you. I'm sorry. Goodbye having signed it with his middle name, of Alex. Below he had wrote, And remember, always cheat on others before they cheat on you, if you're clever enough. I wasn't, and I wouldn't want to be. Bravo, mi chico Latino, which is Spanish for my little Latino boy. That same day, Edward was arrested and charged with harassment. But again, with no witnesses, no confession, and the message not a death threat, the charge was dropped and Edward was released. On the morning of Monday, the 6th of December 1999, as Edward arrived at Canada Blanche, his private Spanish school five miles west of his home, across three doors were painted, Why did you cheat on me, Diego? Why all of the lies? I should hate you, but I don't, Alex, in English and Spanish. That same day, Edward was arrested again, but all they could charge him with was criminal damage. Tried at Marleybone Magistrates Court, he pleaded guilty to the minor misdemeanor and was given a two-year conditional discharge order, meaning that no further action would be taken unless he committed a further offence within the next two years. And once again, he was released. Edward was a free man, free to wander the streets, wherever and whenever he liked, whether around Covent Garden, Charing Cross Road, Soho, Seven Dials, or the Phoenix Garden. And as the boy's mother made plans for the family to return to the safety of Spain, a terrified Diego lived in fear never knowing where his stalker was but knowing he was somewhere maybe around a corner in a bush or behind a tree but then edward's obsessive delusions got the better of him on friday the 10th of december at hoborn police station once again Edward confessed to having a sexual relationship with 12-year-old Diego and although he refused to give any further details, having confessed to a crime while still serving a two-year conditional discharge order under the Protection of Harassment Act of 1997 and combined with a psychiatrist's report which declared him a danger to children, the public and himself. This gave the police the powers to arrest and detain Edward Crowley. When interviewed, he refused to cooperate. So, with the boy's mother overseas, the police obtained his stepfather's permission to interview Diego. And having received the boy's statement in connection with the licking, tickling, and the inappropriate touching, Edward remained behind bars until the trial. On Monday, the 20th of March 2000, the committal hearing of Edward Alexander Crowley for the serious charges of harassment and gross indecency took place at Highbury Magistrates Court. To ensure a conviction, the police and Camden Council Social Services were ready to give their evidence. But with the Crown Prosecution Services case not ready for court, the police's custody time having expired and the prisoner having already served more than three and a half months in prison, Against every objection, District Judge Dorothy Quick had no choice but to grant Edward a conditional bail. Edward was released that day, on the condition that he reported daily at Kentish Town Police Station and did not contact Diego or visit his home, his school or the Phoenix Garden. Rules he abided by. But two weeks later, on the 3rd of April 2000. Because his behaviour was good, the bail conditions were dropped. So concerned were the police that not only did they escort the boy to and from his school on the days following the lifting of the bail conditions, but they also gave him a mobile phone to call them immediately should Edward Crowley ever try to approach him. But beyond that, they were powerless. Once again, Edward was free to wander wherever he liked. To slink in the shadows, to duck into doorways, or to bury himself in the bushes. This was his home. He had every right to be here. And as he walked in plain sight, to those he passed, he was nothing but an anonymous face with an unknown name. So after three and a half months in prison, seething about the boy who had spurned his love, with nothing to occupy him but time, a paranoid grudge, and a well-thumbed copy of the Book of the Law by the notorious occultist Alastair Crowley, the self-styled prophet, black magic practitioner, and supposed Satanist, who was quoted as saying, A male child, of perfect innocence and high intelligence, is the most satisfactory and suitable victim. Over the next six weeks, Edward's anger festered. The evening of Sunday the 7th of May 2000 was unremarkable. A drab day which dribbled to a disappointing demise as a lacklustre sun slowly set behind an opaque sheet of London smog. The beanie caps in the street market were boxed up. Dippy theatre-goers dawdled through doors of an already started show humming a tune they already knew. The Alfresco Ponces had ordered a post-apéritif espresso shot of Guatemalan Demi-Capu decaf half-calf, and a smattering of pissheads sat on the 6 sundial plinth of seven dials, swigging pints and commiserating their final hours of fun before work. Shortly after 8 pm, Diego and his stepbrother left their home near the Phoenix Garden to run a little errand at a nearby shop. The last six weeks had been surprisingly quiet. With no sightings of his sinister shadow, Diego and Roberto scampered towards seven dials. The street was broad, bustling and brightly lit. Feeling safe in a public space, the boys joked and jostled as bonding brothers do, giving each other dead arms, trying to trip each other up and mocking each other's mother without any hint of irony, as they passed the apex of Monmouth Street and Short's Gardens, outside of the Crown Public House. In the corner of his eye, Roberto spotted a furious blur flash across seven dials. He sensed an ominous stale smell, the rustle of a plastic carrier bag, and a tatty moustache poking through a dark blue Parker hood. But before he could react the assailant punched Diego in the face, knocking the bleeding boy off his feet and flat onto the concrete slabs as towering over the terrified 12-year-old stood Edward. Instinctively, to protect his baby brother, Roberto grabbed Edward from behind, jumping on his rigid back, yanking at his veiny neck and struggling to pull the volatile vagrant to the ground. He grappled harder, and although he was only thin, Edward remained upright, his strength fueled by the vengeful anger of his paranoid delusions. And as he shook the struggling teen off, Roberto crashed to the floor. Only it wasn't in vain. Roberto's bravery had given Diego vital seconds to pull out the phone that the police had given him and to dial 999. But it was as the emergency call went through, The Roberto saw that his leg was sore, sticky, and wet, as from the plastic carrier bag, Edward had pulled a kitchen knife, and as its six-inch blade dripped red with Roberto's blood, Edward stood over Diego, fuming. The call connected at 8.05 p.m., but all the operator heard was the boy's screams. As with frenzied force, Edward raised the knife high and slammed it deep into Diego's neck and chest as the staring psychotic stabbed the screaming boy again and 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 in total and again 30 times again and 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 again. Three brave onlookers disarmed Edward and pinned him down until the police and the paramedics arrived. But as blood pooled around the boy's pale body, with the blade having pierced his heart, Twelve-year-old Diego Peña-Ravilla, the kind, sensitive, and sweet-natured child who had saved Edward's life, died on arrival at St. Thomas' Hospital at 8.45pm. For the detectives, the evidence was self-evident. They had a victim, a culprit, a weapon, CCTV footage, eyewitness testimony, and a full confession from his killer. Dropped to the scene... In amongst his worldly possessions in a plastic carrier bag, they found a well-thumbed copy of the Book of the Law by Alastair Crowley with key passages underlined, and on a tatty scrap of paper were scrawled occult symbols and the words, Delendo est di Peñaro, which in Latin means, Diego Peñaro is to be destroyed. On Monday the 12th of February 2001, a short trial was held at the Old Bailey, as although the preceding 12 months were wisely used to collate and cross-check every piece of evidence to ensure a lengthy conviction, it all proved to be irrelevant as Edward pleaded guilty to murder. He is currently serving a minimum of 30 years in prison, but given his mental state, his release is unlikely. At the scene, cards, teddies and floral tributes were left by shocked locals. A two-minute silence was held at Diego's Spanish school, who declared it a day of mourning. And in the ensuing report of what went wrong, the police, Camden Council and the Crown Prosecution Service were all condemned for their actions. Diego Piñaro Villa was a sweet-natured schoolboy whose simple act of compassion for a homeless stranger led to an unusual friendship and to his brutal death. And yet, decades before he was even born, they both could have been saved, had they not been failed by the system. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. For all of Michael's gut-busting, fat-shaving, carrot-chomping diet dudes, there's more low-calorie fun after the break. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Amy Brown, April Louise McLucas, and Jonathan Greenwood. I thank you. With a thank you to all past and present patrons too. Coming soon to Patreon will be a series of short videos about local murder cases too impossible to research so they will never appear on Murder Mile. And also this week I'd like to say a big thank you To all of the listeners who have recently been on my Murder Mile walk, it really is lovely to meet you in person. The crack dealers especially appreciate it. And just to say, if you love the murder location videos I post on my blog, all location videos for past episodes are now available via my YouTube channel. As always, there's a link in the show notes. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. Mm, 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 and that mm, 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 is that uh, 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 that was okay i think i did okay on that one couple of mistakes but but i'll fix it soon so everyone hey why am i still doing this um hey everyone welcome to um i seem to be in a uh, caught in a bit of a loop of uh uh, uh, uh hey everyone Welcome to Extra Mile. This is the part of the show where I waffle. Waffle, waffle, waffle. Only it would be a diet waffle this week, wouldn't it? Not a proper waffle. It would be a diet waffle. Hey everyone, how are you all? Are you all good? Are you all happy? Are you all well? Are you all brimming with excitement? Are you all are you all bristling? Bristling. Good, good use of a word. Uh, bristling with excitement. Uh, it's Friday today weekend tomorrow obviously for those of us who work saturdays and sundays and mondays and tuesdays and thursdays and fridays it kind of is irrelevant but it will be good fun i'm out tomorrow i was out last yesterday that was quite nice out tomorrow which is good looking forward to that so i've been trying to power through get this episode written and ready because i'm away this weekend as well uh going up to see my gran uh who's in the care home she doesn't know who i am but you know what It's nice to go and see her. Uh, Oh, intro, extra mile, extra mile. You all know this bit. You can say it with me. This is extra mile, the unedited, unscripted. Blah 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 blah. This is where I'll tell you some extra stuff about the episode that you've just heard about. Shortly, there's some extra stuff that didn't make it in. Uh, There'll probably, I I doubt there'll be stuff edited out. I think this one's pretty crisp as an as an episode. I think it works nicely. Uh, I'm gonna put on my tea. Uh, as always I'm, st- I'm still on my diet so um, let's uh, you can join me if you like. this can be part of, part of the episode you can put your tea on now um, and then we'll have a cup of tea together. unless of course you're outside uh, then you can't put your tea on unless you've got a campfire, you make a campfire you can make a tea or you can or you can go into a tea shop and order your tea now. Uh, unfortunately because I'm still on my diet, I'm having my uh, my antioxidant green tea uh, yeah, yeah, diet update, I'll go straight into diet update, so, this is day, what is this, day 12, day 12, day 12 of the diet, uh, it's going alright, going alright, not too bad, haven't had any chocolate, haven't had any biscuits, haven't had any cake, well, I had one cake, courtesy of, uh, uh, Phil Cowley, who very kindly came on the tour, you went to the, if you've been on the tour, you went to the, uh, the uh the the cake the the tea shop halfway through with, with the rude man in it the rude man and phil very kindly bought me a bran muffin i'd already done twenty four thousand steps at, i'd already done my ten thousand steps for that day i thought what the hell i haven't had a cake and it didn't look too unhealthy it looked healthy enough so i ate that that was delicious thanks phil uh, but apart from that i've been really good i've been eating uh oily fish uh fresh vegetables fruit three three pieces of fruit for breakfast fruit at lunch uh then i have uh normally some fish sticks uh do you know those just they're meant to they're meant to be i think they call them crab sticks but there's no crab in them and there's it's just basically mashed up fish that looks like crab legs but it's not Uh, i quite like them and they're they're low calorie and they're they're good for you as well well supposedly uh i've been pretty much been off wheat and yeast and that's really helped within a week. I think my stomach has gone down by half my big old fat gut and I think all that was was just basically all the wheat and the yeast and all that and all the bulk so it's amazing you, you, you cut wheat out of your diet which really we're not designed to eat anyway uh, and it's really helped so I've had I've uh, some rye bread which has got me through that's been really nice I've enjoyed going back to rye bread I missed that. We used to have that in the mountains years ago. Uh, So that was nice. Uh, Lots of olives, lots of garlic. I'm on my green tea at the moment, which is full of antioxidants. That's helping. And I'm trying to keep to my uh, 10,000 steps a day, but usually I try and hit about 20 to 30,000, which is good. So weight is dropping off, which is really good. I'm not feeling as as, uh, flabby, which is good. Feeling quite alert as well, which is good. I think if you eat... Too much crap uh, you tend to notice that you tend to notice that you, you feel really sluggish and you know your brain's not as active whereas if you eat well your brain and your body feels really good afterwards so uh yeah i'm enjoying that uh i did actually have a tiny piece of chocolate yesterday but by mistake i'd gone into i'd gone up, got up the asda's and i bought um it's called awesome anti antioxidant nut mix uh high source of fiber high in vitamin e and i looked at it and i thought oh that looks good look at all that and there's, there's almonds there's blueberries pumpkin seeds cashew nuts goji berries looks like there's raisins in there and other such kind of uh stuff that you'd feed the birds uh, so i thought yeah that's good you know ex- extra vitamins and all that i'll have some of that and i was eating them and i was going oh what's that what's that something's really tasty in there is that the goji berry and i looked in it and i realized it also contains dark chocolate Little squares of dark chocolate, so I was like, "Oh bollocks!" So I am actually eating a bit of chocolate, but you know what? A little bit isn't too bad, not too bad. Weirdly, I I, uh, I was out with a mate yesterday, and we we had a uh, we couldn't find anywhere in town. We were going to go out for lunch. I haven't seen him in ages. I'll mention this very shortly. Uh, couldn't find anywhere to eat. We we're in Liverpool Street. We w- I went to a pub. And we went, and Well, we'll grab a burger here, or well, you know, I thought bollocks to the diet that day. Walked in, fifteen quid for a burger. 15. 15 quid, and we were like, no balls to that. So we we did a Tesco's. You know, you go to Tesco's, you can get a sandwich and a drink and a bag of crisps for uh, three quid. So we did that. And I haven't had bread in in like you know ten days, and uh, I haven't had what's it? Oh, I had a bag of what's it? That was good. God, I felt really weird for about three hours afterwards. I felt really kind of out of it, and uh, I felt like I was drunk. I was sitting on the train coming back, thinking, I know that we'd said we were going to have a pint. We didn't have a pint but go oh, i did feel like uh i was a bit woozy there so uh yeah here's my antioxidant green tea oh that's hot i should have waited uh so what else is going on i'll just uh for anyone who's uh first time listening to extra mile this is what happens i fill you in on I'm, I'm, what i'm doing it's you know um and then we go into the extra stuff afterwards the important stuff uh no real coot update this week coots. um they're kind of not here at the moment i won't say where i am uh, i'm in a kind of an area where there's, there's some interesting geese i've been there before there's some nice interesting geese uh, and they tend to uh they were a bit noisy today i I'd actually shut off the recording because they decided to uh, swim up to my boat and they were they were like where's our breakfast where's our breakfast and i was like oh for flip's sake uh but they they buggered off slowly uh so it's been interesting interesting week um Uh, last weekend I moved the boat, I woke up early, it's a Saturday, I always get up early, if it's a Saturday, because loads of people move their boats on a Saturday, so I got up really early, and I moved out of a really nice place, because you have to move every two weeks, it's kind of the law, I am the law, Um, moved the boat, running about two hours, got through a final lock, and what my plan was, was to fill up with water, because my water tank was empty, I only fill it up like once every five, or six months but it was draining low and i i I was at a good water point where it's really fast you can fill up a whole tank in like half half an hour or 40 minutes um but as i got through the lock i put in my um the throttle on my boat and i was like oh there was nothing literally no no acceleration i went went out the lock it kind of it stopped no acceleration engine violently shaking put it in reverse nothing Uh, I thought it could be something around the propeller sometimes but what happens if you get something around your propeller your tiller arm which is basically your boat's steering wheel basically but starts violently shaking and you're like oh okay something's around my prop but it was silent nothing was happening and I got nothing in acceleration or or, uh, deceleration and when you have that on a boat if you've got no engine power you've got no steering so I was a 15 tonne boat basically drifting down the canal towards other boats and and towards other some plastic boats which i would have just gone straight through i was like oh shit so i rocked the boat towards the side had a look uh at the boat and i couldn't i couldn't see what the problem was there was no problem with like the 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 alternator belt the belt or the all the stuff that i knew that it would be so luckily i've got breakdown cover so i called them up and they they went, oh, it's probably a gear cable. No, it's not a gear cable. It's not, okay, it's not the belt. Okay, what is it? And they went, have you checked the weed hatch to see if there's anything wrapped around the prop? And I went, no, because, you know, there's nothing. It, the tiller arm wasn't vibrating. It was just the engine had lost all power. And, you know, it was vibrating, shake, shaking. And then literally I had nothing. Uh, and they went, hmm, Okay. It could be that because sometimes the, the tiller arm doesn't shake. This is very technical, and you're probably bored already. Uh, this the, the guy was there and said sometimes it doesn't shake if it's really tight if something's wrapped around the prop really tightly. Sometimes the tiller arm doesn't shake, and that causes the engine to violently shake, like to the point where like it's a half ton engine, and it can rock off its uh its its mountings, its steel mountings that hard. So uh, we had a cup of tea, uh, which was nice. We had a bit of a chat. And then after about 15 minutes, I went, the engine's probably cool now, because you have to get in down into the engine. You basically, to get to the weed hatch, you have to sit on the engine. You have to crawl into a really tight section, which luckily, he was a bit of a a large gentleman. Uh, Luckily, after my week of a diet, I was slimmed down enough so I could actually fit in there, which was really lucky. Uh, So we undid the weed hatch. And he went, yeah, if, if you find something, it'll be tightly wrapped around it, I reckon. But because the water was green, because we've got this horrible algae on it at the moment, uh, you couldn't actually see into the water. So I put my arm in. I went, oh, there we go. I think I've found what it is. I did actually say to him, it it feels rubbery. It feels like the kind of thing you would find in a Soho shop, you know. I didn't want to go into any more descriptions about that. And then we had a good old conversation about the things that he's found wrapped around props, like uh, uh, a mattress, uh uh some scaffolding he said he found wrapped around the prop. <laughs> uh someone recently found uh uh, uh uh something that was wrapped around the prop and in, in it was a World War Two uh hand grenade. Uh welcome to London. Uh but as I pulled out, I was like, Oh, I think I'm pulling it out, I think I'm pulling it out. And what it put, turned out to be was someone's bag, so it looked like someone had been mugged, they'd got the bag, uh, dumped it in the water as they do as they're running across uh and it got wrapped around my propeller and that was it yay so luckily i was able to move the boat that day but the water levels on the whole canal have been absolutely shagged for the last couple of weeks because a weir broke on the on the uh, west of london so all the water on the west is drained it's basically bone dry and we had the same here so i was trying to move my boat my boat's like underwater is about two and a half feet underwater is um uh, it's boat underwater. Does that make sense? Yeah, underneath the water is still another two and a half feet of boat. So I have to be careful where I moor up. But, and I was going down the, the canal that I'm used to, and I was, like, chatting to the other boaters. I was like, is it really empty here? Where's all the water gone? And they were like, yeah, we're about three feet less water than we should have. And it's not, it's not, in some places on the canal it's only about two feet deep on the sides it go oh, i've seen it even lower than that and if you've got a boat that's two and a half feet underwater uh a draft then uh it's a real nightmare so i was struggling to see what i could find and i was like oh shit this i'll have to do so i literally gunned the boat and drove it into a mud flat until it stopped and then I tied myself up, and I've, I've been there for a couple of days, and it's a really weird feeling when you're used to the rock and the roll of the boat. And outside my window, it's kind—I of, couldn't see anything because there was a big wall there of the uh, the um, the bank. The bank is there, so it covered my entire. That's how low the water was. It was the water was gone by about I would say at least four feet of water was gone. It was absolutely drained. It got us in there next day the torrential rains come we've had like three days of horrible rain in britain canals full again it's magnificent so i'm floating again so that's really good so uh that was interesting wasn't it boat life uh it's a weird thing when you live on a boat you can, kind of things you have to get used to uh that you kind of you know obviously i've said before you've got to make your own power and you've got to get your own gas and find your own water and all stuff like that but it's the rock and roll of the boat the kind of the do you know when you walk it walks as well uh but when it's static when it doesn't move that's really unnerving because you walk along the boat but there's no roll with it it's kind of it feels really yeah you start to feel a little bit landsick. um so that was that that was exciting wasn't it wow you can tell your friends you go out today and say such and such weed hatch water mud flats bank way rains came way um so that was good that was exciting uh, yesterday, very nice. I met up with uh, my old flatmate, my old, one of my old university flatmates. This will shock if Mister Mister Seb Curtis is listening to this, or or Mister Norris, or 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 maybe any of my other old flatmates. I met up with Mister Mark Rushmere. <laughs> I know, I know. You. I hope you. I should have said. Are you sitting down? Mark's a really lovely guy. He's one of our our flatmates, but he does tend to, like, disappear. He he likes his own space, just like I do. He disappears every so often. But sometimes you meet back up with him, and it's lovely to catch up. So I met up with Mark. That was really lovely. We had a little bit of lunch. We just sat on a bench eating sarnies, uh, having a catch-up. But that was really good. Mark, um, I was working on trying to do some new uh, merchandise designs, uh and I was sitting there because there's a bit of a copyright issue with you know if I'm going to use images like uh Dennis Nielsen or Christie or you know Blackout Ripper using their original images uh would cost me a fortune and you know it's copyright law infringement you can't use that and even though sometimes people say oh there's fair use fair use is actually bullshit it doesn't really exist so uh what I did was I kind of skirted my way slightly around it um and Got my good pal, Mister Mister Mark Rushmere, who's a very ta- I always remember from university being a very talented artist. He does not in his spare time. He doesn't. It's not. It's not his his job. But he's very talented. I said, look, here's some designs. Can you do something around that? And he's very good. Yeah. No, he's, he's delivered me a, a a blackout ripper one. So I've got a Gordon Frederick Cummings image that I can use, and I'm going to utilize this on other designs. Uh, he's done me a very clever one. Um, I'll have to put it online. It's it's, it's he's merged um reg christie and Reg's wife with a very famous painting and it's it's really nicely done uh so i'll do that i'll put that online and i'll I'll work out uh what what we're going to do that but i'm going to uh throw up some new images hopefully because it's the last episode in this run then we've got the mini miles i'm going to do a couple of mini miles that'll give me hopefully a week i can sit down and start doing some new designs and then post them on uh what's it called the threadless site if you go to my website there's a threadless site you can you can order whatever you want they're amazing you can you can do cups mugs t-shirts caps wallets purses bath mats bed sheets whatever you want you can have you can have the murder mile logo on but what i want is hopefully within a month's time have some new really fun images so i'm I'm gonna do like some reg like a fake pack of tea for Reg Christie or some some Dennis Nielsen mold wine or do you know stuff like that. Just have some fun with it. So um yeah, working on that, so that's gonna happen soon. So that will be exciting. Uh but yeah, no, that's why I met up with Rushdie. Uh sorry, we call him Rushdie. Uh and uh he's one of the few people in the world I allow to call me Mick. There's not many people in the world I allow to call me Mick. Rushdie is one of the very few. He's he's, he's very honoured. <laughs> we should be very honoured, right? Let's get on with stuff, right? Because I did. I that was that was fifteen minutes of waffle before we've had already this bit. I know, I know, crazy fifteen to twenty minutes, and this won't be edited. Thank God. Right? Can you imagine if I had to edit this bullshit as well? <sighs> I didn't even listen to this bit. The, it, it, the only time I've ever listened to Extra Mile again is i i I think i said something once i can't remember i mentioned someone's name or a product or or something that was too early that i couldn't mention that i thought was oh shit i can't mention that so i went in and took it out It's, it's the only edit i've ever made in all of the extra mile episodes so there you go right let's get into some details right um as you noticed in there uh henry allen bibby was his real name, uh, and he changed his name to Edward, Alist- uh, Edward Alexander Crowley. I need to double-check that I haven't balls this up in the record. Edward Alexander Crowley. He, that's what he changed his name to, but he was a big fan of Alistair Crowley, the the occultist. And you're probably thinking, well, why did he just change his surname to Crowley and kept the rest of it the same, and he didn't? Uh, Alistair Crowley, the occultist's real birth name, was Edward Alexander Crowley. So that's why uh, Henry Allen Bibby became Edward Alexander Crowley. It's in tribute to Alistair Crowley, which was his his pen name. I didn't put that in the story because I I had originally had it in there, but it kind of threw stuff off. Right, let's read some other stuff. Um, There was a big old hoo-ha. I I didn't put this in the story uh, because um, I felt that after after Diego was dead and uh, Edward had been incarcerated... That was kind of the end of the story. We needed to kind of get to the end. There's nothing worse than going, this is the end. Oh, and by the way, here's some more uh, waffle. Uh, Save that for the extra mile. So uh, there was more that happened after that. There was a big old hoo-ha that happened. So I'm just going to read this. Uh, After reading the report commissioned by the Metropolitan Police and Camden Council, uh, Miss Fernandez, who is uh, Angela, which is Diego's uh, mother, said, uh, to say there is nobody who can save my son is lies. Uh, when there were when there were so um, so many agencies the child protection committee the police i think it's disgusting they were aware that he crowley was talking to him but it was all in the hands of the police if you can't trust the police who can you trust to be honest i mean even though the police were criticized with this when you look at the story they were pretty much powerless i know people say why didn't the police do this it's like the police aren't magic they can't just they, they can't just go out and arrest someone and lock them up for as long as they like. If they did that, well that's a dictatorial state. You can't do that. Literally they have to have reasons why they have to have someone imprisoned and arrested and charged and that da, 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 and they can only do it for so long. Uh speaking for all of the agencies involved, Jane Hurd, director of uh, Camden Social Services, denied the report was a whitewash. She said, "We accept there are many things we could have done differently." And we will learn from that. But even if we had done them differently, the tragic death could not have been foreseen or prevented. Couldn't have been foreseen, but there are things that could have been prevented about it. Uh, The report examined the role of Camden Social Services, the police, Camden and Islington Health Authority, the North London Forensic Services, the Crown Prosecution Service and the Probation Service and made more than 60 recommendations. It highlighted a lack of communication between social, mental health, and child protection services that meant Crowley's caseworkers did not know that he had not been seen by a GP, uh, general practitioner, i.e., his, his doctor, for more than a year and had not been, ta- had not been taking drugs that stabilised his mental state. It also criticised the police for the way the, they investigated Crowley after Diego's family reported him for harassing the boy. Uh, and the and the Crown Prosecution Service for being badly prepared for Crowley's court appearance on the second of March two thousand. That's absolutely true. Even even uh, the District Judge Dorothy Quick criticised them in court and said, "Do you know what you had? You had time for this. They had they had uh, three and a half months to prepare for it, and it was more than enough time. And they couldn't go over that period of time because uh, the police could only hold legally hold Alistair Crowley." Um, on the charge he was on for that period of time, that's why the court case had to be on that date. So, the, so the Crown Prosecution Service knew that this was the date that they had to work to, and they didn't get the charge ready. Um, they've they've denied that uh, they were sloppy in their job, but you know, I, to be honest, most people don't know the f- the full facts about this case. So, you know, I guess we will never know. Uh, so they were not able to proceed on the harassment charge. Um, uh, a crown prosecution so uh, spokeswoman accepted that if they had been ready it was possible crowley could have been remanded in custody for longer however she said that uh that lapse could not be blamed for the whole tragedy uh had we been prepared the outcome might have been the same because at some point he was going to be released well, that's true in a way uh, the report also uh, recommended that the government issue new guidelines uh, that police child protection teams should always deal with cases when child sexual abuse has been alleged or is suspected. The Metropolitan Police said Crowley had not been a registered sex offender. Obviously, they couldn't. And there was not a significant history of violence in his past. That was a problem. Also, he didn't have a criminal record as well. So, it was, you know, um, you can't just because just because he's come in and said, I'm having sex with a twelve-year-old boy. He is a paranoid schizophrenic who is not on his medication. So you know, really, what what could they do? They couldn't just take his word for it and arrest him and lock him up. Um, on the attack of Diego. Ah, um, uh, oh yeah, this is. I took this out as well. This it was interesting, but uh, I took it out of the story. So the 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 three men who overpowered. Uh, Edward Crowley, was uh, Sheikh Salim, who was uh, a waiter at the, the Sartaj Bali... um oh, my brain's gone today. Sartaj Balti House, which is on 26 Earlham Street, just around the corner. Unfortunately, it's closed now. It's not there anymore. And his colleague, Anwar Ali Khan, who were both waiters there. Uh, Sheikh Salim said, At first I saw a man chase someone and grab him. I thought it was a domestic dispute, as from behind, the boy looked a bit like a woman. It looked like he was being punched, but I thought that's a funny way to punch someone. Uh, the man just wasn't stopping. Everyone who witnessed it said it was a very frenzied attack. Uh, uh, Diego fell to the floor and Edward was still stabbing him while he was on the floor. Um, three three men overpowered uh, Edward. Obviously, as just mentioned, uh, as he was being uh, stabbed to death, uh, they were honoured by the police. They were Sheikh Salim, Anwar Ali Khan and Simon Viesland, uh, uh who were both interviewed uh, about the incident. Uh, da, 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 da. Simon was actually uh, he was in his flat just overlooking the scene and he, he rushed down and they they all pinned um, Edward to the floor. And got the knife off him. Uh, Sheikh Selim said, I went over and said, that's enough now, leave off. Because obviously at this point he still thought it was a a domestic and a bit of a a fight between uh, a man and a woman. Uh, Edward tried to to stab him but missed. Uh, He said, I grabbed him and felt something warm. I looked at my sleeve and it was covered in blood. He turned towards me and then Anwar came, came running shouting, he's got a knife and he saved me. We both grabbed him and wrestled him down. The boy was lying there motionless. That's Diego, and the other kid, which was uh, Roberto, was screaming with agony uh, yeah, 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 yeah. uh Diego's family friends and teachers insist that the authorities failed to do enough to protect the boy. Mrs. Fernandez lo- Fernandez's mother lodged an official complaint with the police complaints authority after hearing Commander David Smith after the hearing, Commander David Smith said. The Metropolitan Police Service takes a very takes very serious any allegations of crimes against children, and we always do our utmost to investigate thoroughly. Currently, there is currently a review. Rev- there is currently a review underway, which will look at the handling of the incident by all of the agencies to see if there are lessons to be learned from this terrible episode. Uh, the mother of the twelve-year-old boy, that's Angela. Um, uh, by well, they said edward was a satanist but obviously alistair crowley it was an alleged satanist uh the, the, you'll see some uh, things online where they say he was an occultist but they also refer to him as an atheist a monotheist and some people do say he's a satanist uh she condemned the report as lies uh that said nothing could have been done pre- to prevent his death Uh, and she also said the conclusions were disgusting Um, the trial was held on the 12th of February 2001 at the Old Bailey as mentioned it was a short trial uh, because Crowley had pleaded to the charge of murder and the attempted murder of Roberto Uh, obviously he was tried for the serious obviously he pleaded guilty so he was tried for the serious charge of murder uh, murder of a child which is 30 years minimum before uh, parole can be considered uh, but the attempted murder charge on roberto was left on file because obviously it's a lesser charge so they just focused on the more uh serious charge uh there were heated scenes in the court at the time angela fernandez his mother uh ran to the foot of the dock yelling in english and spanish at edward crowley um assassino crowley bastard i want to kill him she screamed and threw several objects at the dock uh it's it's unclear from a lot of these things what the objects were some people say it was files some people say it was a jug of water um but yeah she threw several things uh she then grappled with her daughter her daughter caroline while her sister theresa took up the verbal abuse of crowley before he was hustled from the dock by four prison officers after the three women were ordered from the court, Miss Fernandez twisted her ankle and was taken to hospital. Uh after they were hustled from the court by police uh and officials, the common sergeant of London, Judge Neil Dennison, sentenced Crowley, who admitted killing uh Diego, to life imprisonment. Uh as mentioned, this is a minimum of 30 years before parole is considered, but obviously given his um I mean he when he's in prison, he'll he'll get his medication, he'll get the treatment that he needs, he'll get the psych, he'll get regular access to a psychiatrist. So you know, um, maybe his he, his mental health condition will actually be sorted. But obviously, he won't be he won't be allowed to leave prison for thirty years. And given the fact that he's fifty three now, that'll mean he's minimum eighty three years old before he's released, uh, which will be and that'll be in about eleven years' time. It's not long now. Uh, Roberto, who was uh, uh, commended at uh, the Old Bailey for his bravery, that's his uh, stepbrother, uh, after receiving severe injuries trying to protect D- Diego. He uh, he was taken to hospital. He had some severe injuries to his leg. They were deemed not life-threatening, and he was released a couple of days later. Uh, the trio, who I've mentioned, the three men who pinned uh, Edward to the floor, received an award from the Metropolitan Police for their courage. Uh, the, the mayor of Camden... Uh, presented a a certificate of commendation at Camden Council Town Hall and Frank Dobson MP Frank Dobson who was MP for Holborn and St Pancras said they risked their lives for the sake of a total stranger like many people (coughs) I do not know if I would have had the courage to do it and that is why they really deserve the honour I think that's it yeah, that's all of it. That's everything. That's everything, ladies and gentlemen. That is everything. So I'm going to edit this. I'm going to edit this now. I'm going to power. This is the Friday. I'm going to try and power through this today. Uh, I'm going to edit this. Uh, this section. Clean up all the audio. This takes like a whole day to clean up all the audio. Make it all nice and sweet so you don't hear all the... <gasps> and all the... I hate all that, I hate all that, I have to take all, and all my, my mistakes as well, and then clean it up, and then normally I go through, and then I, I retouch all the audio, because sometimes when, you, when you're doing the, the narration, sometimes the when you add music to it, it speeds it up slightly, so sometimes I've got to go in, quite often I've got to go through, and between a lot of words, I've got to add some extra pauses in to give it the kind of the, the gravitas that I think it needs sometimes. Uh, so that'll take... Yeah, that'll take until the end of the day. And then... And then normally the first five minutes is the hardest. That bit where, where I go, uh, today we're on, that, that bit is the hardest. That bit take, takes hours. And you're probably thinking, oh, all it is is like a street sound. And then he goes to music. That takes ages. Because all the cars you hear are added by me. All the bird songs. everything, Everything is to a point. Everything's exact. So if you listen to the meander mile, you'll hear it's all over the shop. Sounds appear at the wrong time, but I like to I like to orchestrate this properly. So the first bit is really difficult. So I'm gonna try and power through that because I am going to it's a mate's leave and do tomorrow and I'm going to the pub. Go to the pub. And then Sunday got a little tour and then getting straight on the train and going up to Scotland to check on Gran. So yeah. And I've got to get this episode up by Monday for the patrons god normally i'm a week or two ahead but i'm running so far behind at the moment that now i'm hoping i can hit that monday deadline if not you might get this on tuesday (sighs) anyway that's that. stop waffling michael stop waffling we've got to edit this we've got to get this done so that's that that was this episode let's hope that i recorded it correctly otherwise i'm screwed that was good fun hope you enjoy that um next time uh will be the start of the mini miles Ooh! so they're started i've always already started planning those so they're exciting we'll have some fun for me it'll be a bit of a break so i don't have to write these stories i can just have some silliness and you know i don't have to they're they're easier to do and then we will gear up for the uh the multi-parter and that'll take us into christmas brilliant that's that done lovely 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 have yourself a good day and all that etc 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 Tatty bye. Bye, 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 bye.